My name's Noah Lack, and your favorite athletes know a lot more about business than you think. Welcome to Athletes and Assets. I'm joined by my guy, Jaron Artest, former college hooper, former training partner, actually, uh, who is now the founder and CEO of Test Jar Labs, uh, building the next generation of, uh, of game design and um, the, the future of gaming, and uh, really excited that it's in my guy's hands. But Jaron, let's skip the small talk. We, we got to understand, now that you're working, you know, you're going full force on Test Jar. You know, in terms of your game, if you and your dad met up, played one on one right now, who's winning the game? <laughs> it's right definitely now? me right now. Okay. <laughs> I still got my jumper. I'm definitely uh, faster. Okay. I'm just gonna take the ball from him uh, and just shoot in his face. What, <laughs> what about? I mean, that's all. That sounds great, but like, what about the physicality? You know, what if? Uh, what if you start stepping the physicality up? I got the same physicality. I don't think it'll affect me that much. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, well, we'll have to line it up and see. But, um, but dude, thanks so much for joining me. Um, man, it's been uh, it's been interesting since the, the pandemic and we were training. You know, you've uh, you've really dove into the game space, and you know, you were you know had a really solid career at UC Irvine before you decided to, to go and transfer to USC. I guess like let's let's just start from your interest in gaming. Like what what really interests you about sort of the gaming industry and, and why why pursue that route? Yeah, so pretty much it's actually a really great story. Okay. I mean, like you, I'm sure you've been playing video games for a long time, at least when you were a kid, right? I was your first game. So actually? so me, I was um, my games when I was really young was NHL, yeah. 2K, although I I just despise 2K now, but yeah. like NHL, <laughs> uh, 2K, FIFA, uh-huh. Call of Duty, yep. for sure. That's like the, the Mount Rushmore of the games. I was like, <laughs> oh, and Mario Kart, yeah, like yeah. Mario, anything Mario. All, yeah, all the Wii games and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like same as you, I started to love games. And I mean, you could express yourself in a, and play uh, and just do anything in, in, the, in a gaming world, right? And at some point, I was just playing way too many video games. Right. Just playing way too much. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, I'm supposed to be practicing ball. Yeah. <laughs> to, to go to, so I could go play pro, so I could go play in college, so I could go to the best high school. But so my mom took away my PS3, my <laughs> DS, my Wii, and everything, and told me, if you're not going to make your own video game, you're never gonna play them ever again. And so I was like, okay, I'll make my own video game. Yeah, <laughs> I still okay. have my computer. And um, that's how it really kicked off after that. Like I started to really get uh, get a feel and a love and a passion for, for game design and game development. Um, prior to that, I mean, I was already learning how to program and, and um, make websites and uh, transferring that into like something that I was truly passionate about and, and loved in games was huge so yeah fast forward two years after that like statement of my mom yeah <laughs> taking away my video games i published my first ios game at 13. wow uh, and, what, and what was that what, what game was that it was actually called geronimo a 2d platform survival shooter wow <laughs> it was it was like a it was a kid with an afro me yeah um shooting lasers at aliens uh, on a platform and you just had to survive as long as possible and you you made that thirteen. Yeah. 
So, like, when you were at AAU, you know, travel games and stuff, were you, were you playing the, your young game in between games and stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got, like, all my teams. Uh, high school, AAU, um, the other AAU team <laughs> to, like, just play it. The, uh, you got the other you got the opponent to play your game? <laughs> I got everybody, everybody playing it. It was really fun. Um, the whole school was damn near playing it. Wow. Uh, well, I was at Pali when it, like, was really... Um, Palisades High School in, yeah. in uh, Santa Monica area, area or uh, in in the Palisades. Okay, yeah. yeah. In the Santa Monica area, so yeah, I got like all my friends playing over there, and um, other than that, like I started to run ads um, just to explore the that space and and to see if I could get like a little bit of a bigger following, and all of a sudden, it took off in Brazil, and wow, yeah, out of, why Brazil? Brazil has. And Latin America is a very big mobile gaming sure. market. And so I think that was one of the main aspects because I, it was a mobile game. And on top of that, it was also me, like a, a black kid on, on that game that you could play as. Maybe that had to do something with it. I didn't get a chance to really dive into it, but I, it was like really one of the few games uh, yeah. like that at that time, especially. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's crazy. And, you know, deciding that you wanted to build your own game company, gaming, what were you tr- at first, like, what were you trying to create in sort of the games you were looking to build that you couldn't find in or some of the more mainstream games that we play? Or was it just because your mom took away the Call of Duty or FIFA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was really more of an exploration of like, what I loved in games and uh, just really learning at yeah. that stage, especially like how to develop and, and getting my bearings within game engines and, and um, game design even. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really get into truly taking into account like what I'm seeing that's missing in the games industry sure. up until I got into college and started to learn a little bit more about that from my professors at UC Irvine and um, now at USC. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're on such an inflection point of where technology is going in, in many different ways. Obviously, you have, um, you know, a couple of years ago was the, the Web3 wave, which we'll touch on in a sec. Right now, it's, you know, AI is, is the, the flavor of the week. Um, but I know all of this seeps into the gaming industry as well. It just trickles in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the new things that you're, you're seeing in games that, you know, you're trying to incorporate in, in your, your process of building Test Jar? Yeah, so the games industry is moving so fast and... Like you said, it's really always at the forefront of, of technology. And because it combines technology and art, right. art, audio, design, everything that you could think of has to go into making a game uh, pop the way it does. So like what you see right now is generative AI, uh, of course. And honestly, that's changing the whole landscape of the gaming industry and like how we have to think about how we develop games. It's also opening up a lot of opportunity for uh, studios of all sizes to develop the games that they never could before. Wow. Um, such as myself, even. Our studio is, is um, looking at ways to incorporate these technologies as a way to support our, our team and to move faster and to really just make our creative process and like our creative creativity really shine. So um, seeing like the, the animation tools, I think those are pretty underrated actually. You see a lot of AI art that's great for concepting and uh, possibly putting it into uh, like the actual game itself. But 
some of the stuff that's really underrated and, and probably going to really affect how we create games is especially the animation. So that's because a lot of the highest scoped games are action games, things like sports games, sure. things like, um, like sword fighting games. Right. Um, a lot of movement, a lot of motion. A lot of animation, fighting games. And so being able to speed that process up and let studios of all sizes be able to develop their, their own uh, is huge. It sounds like it's competitive too, right? It sounds like there's almost a, not an arms race, but literally a, a race to see who can develop uh, games with these sort of the new applications integrations that we have now, like the fastest. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, a, <laughs> it's totally an arms race for sure. Um, to some detriment even, where like there's a lot of half-baked concepts in games okay. um, that I've been seeing that, that uh, honestly hurt more than anything because yeah. it's already such a new space. Um, the games industry as a whole is already new. It's, it's already um, almost looked in as a, as a negative, even like to some capacity. Uh, because games might be riding your brain or something like that. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> like so stuff the like the classic. That. Like, mom, I, like I don't want my son playing longer than two hours. Like, let's set a time limit. Yeah, but when the the fact of the matter is, um, when you like highly perform in these types of games, your cognitive level is actually so high. The best the best players in games are usually like really really intelligent, really smart. Sure, it's sure. The same in any sport, even. Like one thing. I think about, and I don't think athletes realize this, is athletes are such gamers. Like, yeah. all the big NBA players. Yeah, everybody. Just games. Like, they're <laughs> playing games nonstop 24-7. Do you feel like, like they don't realize that they could be really good game developers? Like Yeah. yeah I, I think that's actually a fact. Like, that's something that I really want to hit home, especially with... That's why I even started the company in the first place, was to inspire and educate that you don't necessarily only have to play games like people can create games in our space yeah <laughs> so yeah uh that's also on, on that note that's why we're opening up this this nonprofit called unlockable content to be able to really hit that home uh bring in this community bring in this agency and uh provide this opportunity for everybody to be able to Learn that they could create and not just right. Play. So the, the your nonprofit that you're you're also, but I'm glad you you smooth transition there. You're you're a natural you're a natural podcaster conversationalist. <laughs> um, unlock content, basically building the bridge between minorities and uh, the gaming industry. Basically saying like, you look, you can be a part of the creation process as well. You don't just have to be the consumer. Yeah. You can be the producer. Um, why why was now like the time for you to sort of start this? Yeah, now's the perfect time because we've been able to have tons of traction and, and tons of growth as a game development studio and a team. And what we're seeing is uh, our like true intention and passion is not necessarily getting out there. And there's not that many other people who are in the position as us uh, with the network and with the, the same resources sure. to be able to do that. And so it's just like the perfect time to to deliver this. And it's like, this goes back to the whole reason I started game development, uh, with my mom being that first, that first step. But it kept going after that. When I was at Pali, um, my, my STEM lab director and organizer, Donna Mendoza, was a big part of why I even got into, like really understanding that I could do this as a career. Um, I knew game development was gonna be 
like a really big part of me, but being able to see those opportunities and, and uh, be told like, yeah, this is actually a thing. What she would do is bring us, she, she, well, first she actually helped me start my Unity Game Development Club. And that was in high school. I was running that while playing on the Pally team and uh, teaching kids how to make games, my friends. And uh, after that, like she would also bring us to our field trips to Riot, bring oh, us wow. uh, to Indiecade. Yeah. It's like a huge, it's like the South by Southwest or uh, so, uh, like the film festival of, of games. Sure. Mm -hmm. And like stuff like that. So being able to see that as a, as a high schooler is so important. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, obviously to keep producing and making the games, you got to make money, right? Mm -hmm. What is, um, can you walk us through like a typical business model for a game, right? You like, um, I guess, I guess it's, it's it, maybe it's, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, from my impression, it's like it's a simple venture market, you raise capital, you hire developers, you build out the game, and then you put on the app store or maybe you, you get it sold to like PS4, Xbox, and you get royalties or something, like how to, from people, every app purchaser, like how does, how does that work? There's, there's a lot of different models. I think like any other business and any other market, you have so many different models to be able to distribute a game. Um, one, for instance, that's also underrated is an arcade. Arcades are still a thing and yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're actually really popping social spaces. Yeah. And um, so you have, you have that, you have premium games where you buy them for 60 bucks, 70 bucks on your console, 40, 20, uh, and that's like a one-time purchase. Right. And then you have free-to-play games that are free to, to get into, but they either charge you to progress in the game uh, level up your character or in Fortnite's case and most now like very popular other games like Apex and, and even Call of Duty like they uh, do a, a non pay to win approach and it's mostly cosmetic based. Right. So Fortnite you have the skins, right? Like mm -hmm. you're saying free to play is Fortnite is the free, free to play model mm -hmm. uh, where you could break it down even further because yeah, like free to play originally was um, it blew up in China. Actually, Riot was the company that really brought it uh, to mass in the West. Okay. They took it in the aspect that it didn't have to be a pay-to-win game, like or uh, like where you had to pay to move faster in the game, like even um, Farmville, for instance, back in the day. Right? Yeah. Like you had to spend money to to keep moving faster, or else you just like sitting there. And the the Fortnite model is vanity and uh, cosmetics and like wanting to show express yourself through the game and and um sh uh, like even having this exclusivity because you might have got something that somebody other somebody and, didn't get right so so fortnite's really making their money on the the different skins because of it's like a status symbol um you can you know you make a lot of you can make a lot of in-game purchases with what you're wearing and whatnot yep. is that that's where they're making more of the money versus like the initial purchase of like getting fortnite yeah yeah exactly and that and that's sort of like free to play in in in, 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 in a nutshell. Okay. Yeah. I want to pick your brain on where do you think like web3 and gaming have like the, the best synergies. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing like play to earn. Mm -hmm. And the concept sounds amazing, right? Like the more you play the game, the more money you make. How close are we to this being a reality in, in a lot of our games and where do you how do you think about where web3 plays a part in that? The play to earn concepts an interesting one. It comes down to like simple economics of where are you getting the revenue from to be able to pay out your, your players? Right. Um, so it's almost an idealistic approach. 
Yeah. Where it's unsustainable and will not be able to, as unsustainable as a business, let alone uh, as a as a technology. Yeah. In some cases, right? I mean, I, I hear people like really excited about play to earn, right? But like my idea, it's like, okay, you've got to raise a bunch of money like you just described to pay out the people who earn, but it's like, no one's just going to keep paying you to, to, to distribute yeah. it to other people. You know, what is in it for them? It, it, that's, that's the dilemma. That's the dilemma because when you introduce those concepts, you introduce this completely new market essentially on the, on your game, or on your platform. And what that attracts are people who are looking for the return on investment. Yeah. And that's where the, uh, sadly, where the, the unsustainability comes from, because groups of people or these people who, who are looking for play to earn games for the return on investment would go from game to game and and uh, like milk it as yeah. much as possible until uh, you can no longer. And then just the game is dead and they move on. For sure. What do you think about NFTs and gaming? I know you've written you've written a bunch about this. Um, yeah. And I am actually pretty bullish on the idea of, of having a sort of NFT. NFT um, in a game where you're you have ownership of like a Fortnite skin, but maybe you know you can sell it for more because you've acquired status killing in the game and like that builds up in terms of like your rank or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So yeah, that's where I see a lot of synergy in in the in the gaming space. Yeah, is because like putting your games on chain actually introduces or putting your assets on chain specifically and not necessarily introducing these complex tokenomics models on chain meaning you know blockchain technology there's a yeah. whether it's the ethereum layer which are um you know or, or bitcoin but but mm -hmm. it's probably gonna be more ethereum i see that more in games yeah i'm just trying to simplify the the vernacular for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. Reason, <laughs> you know so um yeah it, it goes down to making it a collectible, making it something that has a little bit more value past the game even uh, as an IP. Because if you have if you have this asset like a sword, let's just call, like say your sword, your epic sword skin is um, on chain and now the game is, is basically there's not enough players playing it because everybody moved on. Um, maybe you have access to the sword still because it's not just disappearing into the cloud, right? Yeah. And um, to me, I like that because I it, it might hold some some emotional value to me. Really? As a, as a collectible, right? Like, uh, people do this in, in all industries. It's a huge, huge industry. Yeah. Are, are yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's only one aspect, though. And then it comes back to what you can do with the ownership of these of these assets because the people who own those are diehard fans and more often than not and, and like bought in to to that brand and that community and they may be able to push it forward uh, as a community even if say a development studio moves on or um, needs to allocate more resources to something else like I, it just makes so much sense to me but so why do you think we're still not there yet in terms of like in, in incorporating this this the at least the nft part into games is it because we're in like crypto winter or something like this could potentially be resistant of uh, of a down market you know yeah um honestly it's really close i think it's actually very close and the reason i say that is because it's already been pretty much established in a web 2 way but in a closed ecosystem 
and that's with Steam and, and Valve. And they, they've proven out this, this whole concept and model with their Steam Marketplace. Uh, if you remember all those CSGO skins and uh, Team Fortress 2 hats and uh, Dota skins, like all those are on their marketplace able to be traded back and forth and some of them are even created by the community themselves and um that is, that introduces these psychological effects of of um ownership and buy-in you, you could call it psychological ownership hmm. we call the next level real ownership and um what's also known as the ikea effect where like something you build yourself you're like way more bought in sure absolutely like, you mentioned yeah. being emotionally attached like yeah. you know pokemon go people collecting you know the pokemon and and almost holding on to that i think that really helped the stickiness of the game at that time because yeah. they're like emotion emotionally attached to the damn pokemon you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and the same thing probably goes with you know a collectible that yeah. you had for a long time you got a favorite pokemon I'm not a Pokemon guy. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not a Pokemon <laughs> guy. You know, this is... Okay. This is going off the rails here. But, like, when I was playing Super Smash Bros. Mario... Yeah. Um, Pikachu was, like, one of my favorite characters okay. to use because he had the lightning. Yeah. So, like, for me to say Pikachu is my favorite Pokemon, mm -hmm. for someone listening that's, like, a Pokemon fan, they're like, ugh. You know hey, what I mean? I but, mean, Pikachu's a good Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. What about you? What's your, what's your favorite Pokemon? Actually, my favorite is Decidueye. Um, he's he's one of the newer ones. Okay. He's actually he's an owl that is an archer. So he like he he pulls out I guess I don't know magic or I think it's his feathers like arrows from his feathers and word like, has a drawstring hoodie. Okay. <laughs> drawstring hoodie. <laughs> yeah. It has a drawstring hoodie. Uses the drawstring. Pulls up the the drawstring and like <laughs> what? And um, but that's a dope character. Okay, the owl archer is like the owl archer. That okay, that's cool, but. But actually, the wildest thing in this conversation is the drawstring hoodie. It's drawstring like a Nike. Hoodie. I I'd imagine an owl with like a Nike fleece and like <laughs> I don't know. Basically, <laughs> he's drippy. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um. What are you, so let's let's stay on that. What are your what are your favorite games to play now that are sort of new newer school? I'll start with this. Like all time, my favorite game to play ever was Team Fortress Two that I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. And it was an arena shooter, team team combat shooter. If you know Overwatch, Vertebra, Team Fortress yeah. Two is the inspiration. Uh, was the inspiration of Overwatch? Okay. Yeah, and um, it's still going strong. Like that community is never faltering, always going, and that goes back into the effect of that IKEA effect and the psychological ownership that these players had because they own their hats. Yeah. They are creating more maps and creating more things for that game. Uh, that's what I love about that game. And I can't get away from it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even more so, past that, uh, I've been playing a lot of Valorant. Okay. Yeah. I've been playing a lot of Valorant, and that game's also dope because of... I couldn't get into CSGO as much. It was, it's a similar game, but Valorant's fun. Okay. <laughs> like, it's just... It's For so sure. satisfying. Uh, really great game design. Yeah. Um, it's a PC game. I know Test Jar is, you know, you're still uh, incubation. You know, you're you're looking to explore a couple things to build here. Where um, where would you like Test Jar to be in like five years? What's your big vision here? Like, what can we expect out of this studio? Yeah, we we can't know for sure where we're going to be, but sure. we could expect that our team will be really really strong. And honestly, we're gonna have a lot more 
uh, we're restructuring right now to make sure we're ready to be at, at the scale that we really want to at that point. And that's having multiple different operations on different games at the same time and really leading forward um, the next generation of, of games. And what that really looks like for us right now is being the next generation of sports gaming. Yeah. And I'm, ex- I'm excited about that because like, like we've been talking about, athletes love gaming. Um, for you to play at the level you did, understand the culture, but also be able to have that technical ability to hop in on the other side yeah. and almost like be behind the scenes and, and build the games that that the, our generation wants to kind of play up, you know, as, as, as we grow up. It's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, man, this is, uh, this is really exciting. And, you know, I can't wait to see the continued, you know, splash you're going to make in the gaming space. Yeah, thank you. It's going to be a really excellent, uh, super exciting journey. Yeah. This next year is going to be absolutely insane. We've got a lot of plans. Uh, I'd say stay tuned. Yeah. (laughs) Because uh, we have a few projects in stealth right now. Right. And they're based around sports and based around entertainment. Hashtag shh. All right. This has been another great episode with my guy, Jaron Artest. Former college basketball player turned, um, you know, game designer, CEO of Test Jar Labs. My guy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe on Spotify or give us a like or a follow on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You know where to find us at Athletes and Assets.